2: On the summer evening of May 9, 1994, in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, 18-year-old Klishindra Hall was dropped off at her after-school job. High school graduation was just two weeks away as she was preparing to go to college and graduate high school as valedictorian. Clea had big plans for her future with becoming a pediatrician and getting accepted into Tennessee State University's pre-med program but she didn't get a chance to embark on any of her plans. Somewhere along the night, while at her job that was only minutes away from her home, something happened. Kleshindra never made it home, but was said to have been seen leaving in a car and several other stories that just doesn't add up. Oddly, that was the last time anyone has ever heard anything from or seen her, including her supervisor, Dr. Larry Amos, in fact, It's been 28 years and still with a lot of unanswered questions, strange things on the exact street she assumingly disappeared from. A home that contractors have reported something nearly unexplainable and a tip that led to a search 18 years later. Still, no arrests have been made and the case is unsolved and rather cold. Even with all of the suspicion surrounding this one person, This one person may hold the answers that we all want to know and may have always held the answers. With those closest to this one individual who may be harboring a secret from summer 1994, a girl with an entire future, working and an honor student, a great family life. Then it goes dark. Clea just vanishes for nearly three decades. So what happened to Kleshendra Hall on May 9, 1994? Could she have just walked away from it all to completely abandon her now past life? Left with the boy and something happened there? Or was there something far more sinister with someone who she trusted that may not have been in her circle, but was in her presence on that same night, in those last moments? This is the Missing Found podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Harlow. Before we get into the case, I have a few details to share about the show. The Missing Found is a true crime podcast focusing mainly on unsolved missing person cases in the Black community. The cases that I cover have either gone cold, have little to no media coverage, or have gone without conclusion. You can follow the show on Instagram at The Missing Found or on Medium at The Missing Found to read our original script. I also would like to mention that we have a case suggestion form in the show notes or description box that you can complete to submit your case suggestions that are of The Black and Missing. We have a Patreon that's now available for you to become a member in our private community to discuss cases deeper beyond our case analyses through live discussions, ad-free episodes, gain complimentary access to our original script, early releases, and bonus content, and much more that's exclusive for members only. The show is now available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. To access all things of The Missing Found, you can visit our website, themissingfound.com. I ask that you please like, share, and subscribe and comment to share your thoughts on this case. This is Case Episode 12. The Disappearance of Kleshindra Hall. We can all relate to Clea. I remember when I had my first job in high school. It was at a summer camp. I followed a daily routine for when it was time to leave home for work and return home from work. I was a few years younger than Clea. I always had a ride to work, but there were a few times where I woke up late and had to catch the bus. The only difference between back when Clea went missing in high school in 1994 to when I was in high school is that I had a phone. I had a device that was traceable through cell towers. My phone did not have the advanced technology that we have now, like smartphones, but if I were to go missing somewhere along the route to get to work, my last footsteps could have been traced. However, for Clea, it was a different time. There was nothing on her person nor any cameras in the area that could have communicated her location except only from the words of the last known person to see her. Think about the time when you were 18 and the many opportunities that something could have happened while you were going about your day. This is why with Clea's case, we can all relate and still even in a highly digitally focused world today. Today we are discussing the bizarre disappearance of Kleshindra Hall. Kleshindra went missing in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, sometime before she was supposed to be picked up from work. We're looking at a case with nearly 30 years of mystery. Her mother dropped her off to work just to never be seen again. The year was 1994, so it was a different world than what it is today in technology. As you analyze this case with me, you'll see why this case isn't as convoluted as it may seem. In fact, the person responsible may be right there and well-connected. We're going to look at the facts with the case details, the timeline of what we know, the person of interest, Clea's last known moments, and common theories. I will also conclude with my closing thoughts to analyze the small details that are far in between on what may have happened. So who is Kleshindra Hall? Kleshindra Denise Hall, or Clea as everyone called her, was born to Willie and Laurel Hall on March 30th, 1976, in Arkansas. Together, Willie and Laurel share four children, and Clea was their only daughter. Clea has one older brother and two younger brothers, and they all come from a tight-knit family. She has parents that support their children and wanted only the best for them. In 1994, Clea was a senior at Watson Chapel Junior High School, where she was in the marching band along with her younger brother. She did well in school, both in activities, socially and academically. Clea was your typical teenager. She always had friends, enjoyed talking on the phone, loved reading, and she also loved children. After graduation, she had plans to become a pediatrician. In an interview that Lorel, Clea's mom, did with Real Talk with Tamara, she mentioned how Clea was always playing with kids and babysitting. Even with church, which she always looked forward to attending, she was a volunteer in the nursery ministry. Clea had it all figured out, and she had a promising future ahead, which is why Clea leaving at her own volition is incomprehensible. At almost the start of senior year, Clea's friend and classmate, Erica, had told her about a part-time job where she and her sister, Esther, worked. Erica has a sister named Esther, who was a year younger than both Erica and Clea. Erica mentioned that she and her sister were looking for a new job and was helping the supervisor find a replacement before they quit. Now, it is not exactly clear if the girls had already quit the job or they informed their supervisor that they plan on resigning and he instructed them to find someone to take on their role. I will go further into this later, into the analysis, because the manner in which the sisters were planning to leave the job is questionable, in my opinion. Clea was interested in the position because it would be the perfect way to make some money throughout senior year, and it would eventually help save for college since she was accepted into Tennessee State University's pre-med program, and she had plans to start an internship in Boston at a pediatrician's office. Not only that, the job was not far at all from her home, less than one mile. Clea had asked her parents about taking the job opportunity. After some thought, both Willie and Laroe had decided it was okay for her to take the job because it was close to home and she would be working only for a few hours after school and sometimes on weekends. And as long as it would not interfere with school or church work, there was no problem. Their decision did not come easy, though because before they said it was okay for her to take the job, Willie, her dad, had asked people about this supervisor to learn more of who he is, if he was involved in any criminal activities, or anything that he should know prior to allowing his teenage daughter to be in his presence. No one said anything negative about him, and several people just didn't have much to say. Nothing negative or positive. The Halls were your typical loving parents that were both involved in all of their children's lives and even still today with their now adult children. They were the type of parents that wanted to know where their child was going, with who, and if possible, they would be right there. Both Willie and Laurel were involved and protective of their children. Clea did not know and neither did her parents, but at some point while working at this job, it would be the last her family would see her. The case details. Clea starts work. Clea is hired by supervisor, Dr. Larry Amos, a businessman who ran a charity for allocating meal resources for daycares. He had a non-profit organization for a food program that provided individuals with daycares food to supply to the children. The job was located at Dr. Amos's home in his home office and situated just above his garage. Clea worked there as a part-time employee. Her role was to perform clerical duties for his program, directly reporting to Dr. Amos. The Amos residence is located on the 5300 block of Fawcett Road in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I want to mention that Clea's parents never saw the inside of Dr. Amos's home prior to her starting the job, let alone the exact office she worked in. You will find later that something or someone was preventing this to happen. Clea and her mom had an understanding that she would drop her off to work after school and pick her up in the evening. Clea would call home when she was ready to get off work and be picked up so Laurel can drive up the street to pick her up. Instead of Laurel blowing her horn to let Clea know she was outside, she would pull into the driveway of the Amos residence and Clea would look out of the window, which faces the front of the house. She would sign out on the paper timesheet Verbally informed Dr. Amos that she was leaving for the night, walk into the garage that's connected to the house, push the button to let the garage up, and run from under it so that it can close to meet her mom in the driveway to leave work and head up the street back home. This was standard practice. At this point, Cleo worked with Dr. Amos for about a year now. The First Ring Clea was on schedule to attend work on May 9, 1994. Laurel picked up Clea from school to take her to work. When they both arrived to Dr. Amos's home where she worked, no one was there. Laurel and Clea went home, and then she took a nap on the sofa. A little before 5 p.m., Dr. Amos' wife called to the hall residence and said Dr. Amos just returned home and Clea can come to the house so she can start her shift. Laurel woke Clea up and drove her to his home to begin her shift at 5 p.m., and Laurel watched her walk in. This was the last time Laurel saw her daughter. After dropping Clea off, Laurel and Clea's siblings attended her youngest son's baseball game. After the game, Laurel and the boys went home. She mentioned that the rest of her evening, she spent time laying on her bed and reading a book while the boys were hanging out in the house and while Willie was at work. Around 8.15 p.m., Clea called home and asked if anyone called or left a message for her. I want you to keep in mind that this was during the early 90s, so Clea did not have a cell phone or any mobile cellular device, and cell phones were just becoming mainstream, which still, at that time, were not as advanced as today or even in the early 2000s. When she called home, her middle sibling answered and spoke to her. He mentioned that no one called for her. Clea concluded the call by saying she will call back once she is ready to leave work to be picked up. She said bye, and they both hung up. Nothing was out of the ordinary. The second call that never came. Laurel ended up falling asleep. Her husband, Clea's dad, Willie, came home from work around 12.45 a.m., he would always check in on the children when he got home from work to ensure they were in their rooms. This night, however, was different. Willie quickly noticed that Clea was not in her room. Willie woke Laurel up and asked where Clea was and if she was still at work. Still half-sleep, Lorel quickly got up, went to Clea's room to look, and realized she has to still be at work since she did not pick her up. Laurel ran to the living room looked for the number to Clea's job, dialed the number, and her boss, Dr. Larry Amos, answered on the first ring. This would imply that he was already in close proximity to the phone, the home office area in which Clea worked. This encounter had to be minutes after 12.45 a.m. and just before 1 a.m. Lorel briefly spoke to Dr. Amos, asking if Clea was still there. He said that she was not there and she had already left. He actually placed Laurel on hold and checked the timesheet and said that she signed out at 8.30 p.m., which was the usual time she would get off from work. But Clea would call when it was time to leave so her mom can pick her up. Lorel then asked Dr. Amos, who did she leave with? Because she was supposed to pick her up at 8.30 p.m. or when she was finished with work. He said that he did not know who she left with. Now, I must mention that Dr. Amos' story changed. A few times. At this point, Laurel assumed that Clea was just trying to stretch her independence since she was a senior in high school and was set to graduate high school in only just two weeks. Like any typical parent, Laurel stayed up and waited for her to get home, assuming she was just hanging out and would be home later, like some teens. If this were the case, she would have been in trouble as soon as she got home since this was uncharacteristic for Clea and she knew that that was something that just wasn't accepted in her household, like a lot of households. We've all been there as teens, where we push the bar as far as we can with our parents. Well, Clea never came home. She never came home at any time throughout the night. A school absence, and the longest day ever. Clea and her middle brother, who was in 10th grade at the time, Both had band class at school during their first period. Just like after work and throughout the early morning, Clea never showed up to school. On this day, May 10th, the seniors were at a nearby elementary school performing so Clea had to be there with her other classmates. Both her brother and Laurel assumed that maybe Clea did actually make it to school but was present at the elementary school, which is where she should have been with the other seniors. Laurel found out about this because her middle son, who shared band class with Clea, went to the front office to call their mom to inform her of Clea's absence, or possible absence. During this time, Laurel was a little panicked, but still under the assumption Clea was just pushing the bar very high, even though this is eminently uncharacteristic for her. Through this, Laurel had an unsettling feeling. At noon, The seniors returned from the elementary school. Clea was not present, nor was she in attendance at the school. Clea has not been seen or heard from by her family for 17 hours. Clea did not have a car, nor a pager. So, where could she have been for all of these hours? That's when the Hall family knew right away something was just not right, and in that moment, Clea was officially a missing person. LaRoe called the police to report her daughter missing. However, this could not happen. She had to wait a full 24 hours to report Clea missing. She had to wait until 5 p.m. on that day, Tuesday, since she was last seen by her mother at 5 p.m. on Monday when she dropped her off at work. As we all know, time is the most valuable asset when it comes to a missing person. With knowing our loved ones, characteristics, and practices, we know what is typical behavior and what is not. A person of interest. Well, there was no major search conducted by law enforcement, initially. There was a search that was done in Dr. Amos's home two weeks after Clea went missing. But law enforcement found no signs of a struggle or anything to show a crime took place in his home or the area in which she worked. The last person to see a missing victim is usually the person of interest. In fact, it is largely believed that Dr. Amos was the last to see Clea since she was last at work, in his home. After Clea went missing, Larell and Willie did several interviews with hopes of finding answers as to where Clea is or what happened to her. Missing flyers went up, word got around Pine Bluff, and still nothing. Laurel spoke to Dr. Amos directly on the Wednesday after Clea went missing, 48 hours later, on May 11th, and before he left the state. Laurel and Willie did an interview at a radio station, and the interviewer had called Dr. Amos so he can tell his side of the story of what would be the last sighting of Clea. There was another exchange between Dr. Amos and Clea's parents about two or three weeks after Clea went missing. A psychic was brought in and she wanted to actually see where Clea worked. Both Lorel and Willie waited until about 2 p.m. to allow Dr. Amos to get home from church since it was on a Sunday. While home, they noticed he drove past their house, which was an oddly regular occurrence after Clea went missing. In order for him to get home, he does not need to pass the hall residence. It's as if he would detour his usual route just to go past their home. I would imagine that this was his method of keeping tabs on the case by seeing who was present at the hall residence at the time. When Willie and Laurel thought he made it home, she called Dr. Amos and asked if her family can come over, but he said he had a meeting. He also asked who wanted to come over, and Laurel said their family, Laurel, Willie, Clea's brothers, aunts, and the psychic. Dr. Amos made mention that he did not want to be bothered with any psychics. As a result, still to this day, Lorel nor Willie ever seen the inside of his home where Clea worked and had no communication with Dr. Amos due to Dr. Amos dismantling all communication and the willingness for communication. He also has not participated in any of the searches for finding Clea, even still today. He simply just did not want to have anything to do with the search on any level. In fact, he was said to have been paying people to remove the flyers from near and on the public street area of his home. You would think because someone went missing after working at his home, he would be more involved or at least show an ounce of concern. But that just wasn't the case here. The timeline. Before we go further into the case analysis, I want to recap and simplify the timeline of what we've covered so far to allow you to understand the series of events from when Clea was last seen, last spoken to, and when things went quiet. May 9th, early morning, Clea attended school. By afternoon, Clea was picked up from school by Laurel, her mother, and was taken to Dr. Amos's house. Dr. Amos was her employer, and she worked out of a home office. It was understood that Dr. Amos, his wife, and small son lived in the home. Later that afternoon, Lorel ended up taking Clea home because Dr. Amos was not home, so she can start her shift. It is not clear if Clea had a set schedule or if she would just work as available. Late afternoon, early evening, Dr. Amos returns home, and his wife calls Clea's home to inform her that she can come to work because Dr. Amos is back home now. At around 5 p.m., Laurel drops Clea off at work. She watched her walk into his home. This is the last time Laurel set eyes on Clea. After 5 p.m., Laurel and her sons, Clea's brothers, attend her youngest son's baseball game. We don't have an exact time the game concluded, but we can assume that the game ended somewhere around 6.30 and 7 p.m. I say this because Laurel made mention that after the game, they all went home and the boys were just hanging out and she was on her bed reading a book. At around 8 p.m., Clea called home to see if anyone called her. Both her brother and mom picked up the phone. Her brother told Clea that she didn't have any calls. Clea says she will call back when she's ready to be picked up from work. The call ended and the second call never came. This is the last time her family heard her voice. There also has been no reporting or mention from Laurel to state whether this call was odd or alarming. At around 8.30 p.m., sometime after the call, Laurel had took what was supposed to be a nap, but she ended up oversleeping past the time to pick up Clea. Clea never called home so her mother can leave out to pick her up. Her shift usually ended at 8.30 p.m but there has been times where she will work past 8.30 p.m. May 10th. Willie arrived home from work around midnight, checked on the children and noticed Clea was not in her room. He woke Laurel up and asked where Clea was and if she was still at work. A few minutes before 1 a.m., Laurel immediately called Dr. Amos's home office. He answered on the first ring. He said Clea left at 8.30 p.m. and confirmed this by checking the timesheet. Tuesday morning, a school day. Clea's brother reported to their mom using the school office phone that Clea was not in band class, nor was she at the elementary school where the seniors were performing that morning. Then, Laurel attempted to file a missing persons report, but she had to wait the full 24 hours. The full 24 hours would be at 5 p.m. on Tuesday, that same day. At 5 p.m., Lorel filed a missing persons report. She expresses that it was not taken seriously. May 11th, Dr. Amos left Pine Bluff and went to a neighboring city to check on some businesses for the daycares that he provided food for. May 12th or 13th, he left the state to take care of more business. After that, things went fuzzy, but his actions sure didn't. As told by Dr. Larry Amos. Dr. Amos had told a series of different stories, recounting when Clea left his home. Story 1. Clea left at her normal time, 8.30 p.m., and she left in her ride. What this means is Clea left with someone in a car. She got into the car and she rode off with whomever was in the vehicle. Story 2. Clea looked out of the window two or three times like she normally does. He heard the garage go down, but didn't know who she left with. Clea did not inform him or his wife that she was leaving like she normally does. Story 3 His wife gave Clea a peach pop and she left. They offered her popcorn, but she refused the popcorn and she preferred the soda, or pop as they call it. As you can see, there are several different scenarios that Amos presented. The common denominator of all three stories is that Clea left from his property. From what we know based on other articles, the people that lived in the Amos residence during the time Clea went missing were Dr. Amos, his wife, and their son who was very young at the time. The Search very early into the investigation, there was a search in Dr. Amos's house and a local ground search, and nothing came of either. They searched the woods, brought in cadaver dogs, and nothing. Not one element brought up anything remotely close to alluding to where Clea was or any sign that she was ever brought into the woods or near them. The woods were checked since the area they lived in was surrounded by heavily wooded areas. The search always remained local. I don't know if this element alone speaks volumes of the fact that the search was kept local or says absolutely nothing without saying too much. In the beginning, Clea's case wasn't taken seriously. In fact, law enforcement considered Clea a possible runaway. This is typical in cases that are amongst the black and missing, so I'm not surprised. It was deemed as a case of a runaway due to her being 18 and her being a senior in high school. The thing with that is, Clea didn't take any clothes. She didn't have a phone or a pager, and she didn't have enough money on her to get very far. Nor did she have her ID. She was a smart girl. And I say was because that's all we have to go off of, so I have to speak of her in past tense. In her family's mind, Clea is still 18, even today. She was set to graduate in just two weeks prior to her disappearance and was ready for her future since she was finally getting into the field that she had dreamed of since she enjoyed working with children. She had a job set up within her field of medical and pediatrics, and she got her acceptance letter for college. This was all what she was looking forward to. Then something happened. Law enforcement began to take things a little more serious when they actually went to her school and learned that she was not a troublesome teen. Law enforcement began to take things a little more serious when they actually went to her school and learned that she was not a troublesome teen and an honor student. She excelled well academically, and it was unlike her to just go off or go missing. That's when they realized something was suspicious surrounding her disappearance. I want to make it clear that whether a person are those things or not, they still deserve to be found. One thing that law enforcement forgot to check was her locker at school. Could there have been something of relevancy there? Possibly, but we would never know. The curiosity of Dr. Amos. Dr. Amos has been and is known to be well-observant around his house, so it is quite peculiar for him to not have seen Clea leave, see who or what vehicle picked her up, and see who left. He has gone on record to say that he has no more responsibility to Clea than he would any employee. This statement alone directly communicates the extreme lack of care of someone disappearing from or last seen at his place of residence and employment. Because of this, I wonder why. Does he already know where Clea is? Or what happened that night? It wasn't like clear to just leave and not tell anyone she was gone for the evening. You have to ask yourself, what could be his reason of pushing himself further away from the case? Could it be to protect himself from any accusations? Understandably. Or, could it be he knows more and wants to completely separate himself from the case? Odd Behavior From the very beginning, Dr. Amos demonstrated questionable actions after Clea disappeared. During the searches that were conducted, the Hall family and other locals would place missing person flyers around the neighborhood for Clea. They would hand the flyers out and hang them, along with bows. The flyers and bows were placed all throughout the community and even on power poles. The family noticed that some of the flyers were removed. A family friend one day saw Dr. Amos physically removing the flyers from off the public street. Once this family friend witnessed it, she immediately called Laurel. It was also found out that Dr. Amos was actually paying a neighbor's son and his friends to remove the flyers. The question is why? What would be the reason for him wanting to remove something that is helping to find a missing teen that he employed and was last seen at his home? As stated from Laurel in her interview on Real Talk with Tamara, she mentioned something that was, in my opinion, interesting. Prior to Clea going missing, Dr. Amos would park his car in his driveway while his wife parked her car in the garage. However, once she went missing, things changed. Dr. Amos began to park his car in the garage, and his wife's car was parked in the driveway. This isn't something that I can confirm but it is stated from Lorel, and something to keep in mind. This is just a few of the many interesting behaviors presented by Dr. Amos that could mean something, or it could mean all of nothing, except protecting what he thought people were after, his innocence. Mystery inside of the Amos residence, 18 years later. It took nearly 20 years, 18 to be exact, It took 18 years for law enforcement to garner enough probable cause to obtain a search warrant to perform another, more extensive search of the Amos residence. 18 years. Only 18 when she went missing, and 18 years to find probable cause. In my opinion, 18 years too long and too far removed. The search took place the week of March 26, 2012. As a result of the search that lasted around seven hours, police were seen carrying a few pieces of evidence outside of the house while Dr. Amos, who still had access to enter and exit his home, was seen photographed reading mail. Just casually reading mail while a search is in progress regarding a missing teen last seen at his property. It's not clear exactly what brought on the search. Sure, they received enough probable cause to ensue a search, but... What led to that? What statements were given and from who? What precipitated the cause for a search? Could this be someone who knows more or could this be someone who is involved? Could it just be allegations? I don't know if we would ever know. After the search and some items removed from his home, Larell would check in with the chief regarding the evidence to obtain the status of his processing and if anything came back. The chief claimed to check every week on the evidence, but there were no results that came back. Well, come to find out, the crime lab never even received the evidence. It went from being taken out of the Amos residence in bags, to the trunk of the police car, to just the evidence room. It never even made it to the crime lab until 40 days later. What came of those results? I don't know. Dr. Amos made sure to mention that he's had nine renovations done on his home and that they should have done this search 18 years ago. I have to agree with him there. Had a search been done prior, a more extensive search, and sooner, there may have been more answers. In my opinion, I don't think they would have found anything in May 1994 either, not even a strand of hair that's out of place. I will discuss why later. The timing of this search could not have came at a better time for Dr. Amos. Evidence could have been destroyed, he's had renovations, and there just won't be much evidence there to lead to Clea's whereabouts, if something even happened in his home. We can't totally disregard the fact that someone could have picked Clea up or something happened after she left work. It's possible, but highly likely, many strongly doubt. The unforgettable renovation that reeked of a body. Speaking of the renovations, I have something better for you. According to an article on Fox 16, it was reported that contractors who were hired to conduct renovations on Dr. Amos' property in the late 1990s recalled seeing blood splatter on the insulation, a horrible smell, and flies surrounding one spot. Now, this isn't something spoken about much, nor has it been confirmed. So I can imagine that maybe why. This is interesting to note because I questioned what were they working on, what was the job they were hired to complete. When did they notice the smell? When did they report this finding? Who did they report it to? And where did that claim go? All questions that need answers. This reporting was given or made public close to the date of the last search in 2012 and possibly what prompted this search. This could mean one of two things. It could have been seen back in 1994 or it could have been any time between 1994 and 2012. Not very insightful on a date, but it is something I wanted to add. This report was made public in some media outlets and on a case episode update for Clea on TV1's Find Our Missing, season 2, and aired on February 25, 2013. It was a show that had only two seasons, and they covered Clea's case in two separate episodes. Season 1 in 2012, and Season 2 in 2013. In that second episode, I remember this finding being mentioned about the contractors. I'm sure it's somewhere in Clea's case file, but it's just not talked about much in media. I wish I had more insight on this finding, but for now, we can only report it as it's being reported. The rule out. Clea had a boyfriend. There was talk about Clea having a boyfriend or someone that she was interested in at her church. I've heard it was a boyfriend, then I heard it was someone she was interested in. He was cleared of any involvement. I don't have much details on him, a name, or even any specifics, but he was considered, then ruled out after a search of his vehicle, questioning, and a polygraph test resulted in being inconclusive. The reason he was considered is merely due to them being peers, Perhaps they were close and were in communication. The sisters and everything we don't know. As I mentioned earlier in my analysis, Clea found out about the job through her friend and classmate Erica and her sister Esther. The two girls had worked for Dr. Amos at his home and seemingly recruiting for him to fill the position since they quit or planned on quitting. The teen girls had some form of relationship and rapport with Dr. Amos. Erica and Esther's mother ran a daycare. Well, guess who funded her daycare with mill resources? Dr. Amos. The family also attended the same church that Dr. Amos attended. It's not public how close, if at all, the girls and their family was to Dr. Amos, but they did know him far more than... They led on when sharing the job opportunity to Clea. If they did decide not to disclose this information for whatever reason, then I would ask why. This is something that I learned as I was analyzing Clea's case. It's not strange that they knew him, but it is strange that the teen girls were recruiting to find someone else to fill the role. Not two people to fill both positions, but just one. What teenager do you know is going to fulfill a mission to find someone to take their spot at a job? Maybe if you knew the employer well and had a relationship of some sort with him or her. Did Dr. Amos send the girls on a mission to find another girl? And why did the girls want to quit or why did they quit? If this information was shared with Clea, it didn't make it back to Laurel. Laurel stated that the girls found another job. At least that is what they told Clea. A year later, after Clea disappeared, a year later, after Clea disappeared, both girls were still unemployed. Laurel believes they never had another job. So why did they leave? The reason this element is odd because Erica has not been too vocal nor forthcoming with Laurel throughout her case. She just doesn't want to have anything to do with it, it seems. I'm unsure if this is due to her feeling responsible since she is the one who informed Clea about the position or something else. Another question. Did they witness something odd from Dr. Amos that put them in a tough spot that made them feel uncomfortable so they quit or wanted to quit? If there was something going on, would Erica subject her friend to that? Could the reason of them quitting is because something went on? Erica would have needed or wanted to have a job, especially after graduation being only two weeks away. I do wonder what provoked them to leave the job and what agreement was made between the girls and their employer with finding the perfect fit for the role. Clea. I'm not alluding to either of the girls being involved. In fact, I don't think they're involved at all. I do believe they knew Dr. Amos from church and business with their mom. But I would like to know why did they want to leave the job? This would be good to know because it would communicate whether something happened on the job from Dr. Amos, and lets us in a little on his practices with his employees. Just something I thought I would mention, and this could be me looking too far into this detail, but it is something I wish I had more insight on. An impressive real estate portfolio, as of today, according to Laurel. Dr. Amos has an interesting portfolio of real estate. He still owns his property where Cleo was last seen, and he purchased nearly every property that is surrounding that home and rents out the surrounding homes. It's not him buying property that's bad, because it's not. However, it raises my eyebrows as to why, if this detail is accurate. Is this to control the neighborhood on who gets to move in and around him? This is a power move, a power move that can mean a few of the aforementioned things. It involves regulation and control, but it also could be an opportunity. A lot of us understand the benefits of real estate, buying and holding. Though an interesting mention, is this enough to say he is involved with Clee's disappearance? Theories Theories are not something I always include in my analyses. I don't because it can throw things off. I do it on a case-by-case basis. I look at the length of time from the case and I consider the facts that we have. Now there are three main theories on what happened to Clea. First, I read comments where some suggest Clea attempted to walk home since she lived in close proximity to Dr. Amos, then was abducted somewhere along the walk. As of today, there's no evidence to support this theory, but it is a theory worth mentioning. It then makes you reconsider the theory that Dr. Amos reported about seeing Clea get into a car. Second, some believe that Clea may have decided to run away. Clea had a supportive family, but they were protective. There's nothing wrong with protective parents, but some from the outside looking in and even from within may feel she felt suffocated. This ideology is possible, but unlikely. Many that knew Clea said that this is uncharacteristic for her. Lastly, some have alluded to Dr. Amos being involved. They claim that he had a hand in her disappearance. This theory is largely believed, and it just can't be confirmed, even still nearly 30 years later. I can understand this theory because of the public facts. The first search of his home was done two weeks after Clea's disappearance. This time span is enough to conceal a crime scene and cover up any evidence. Which is why I believe in that search, that was done two weeks after her disappearance, they wouldn't have found anything. There just has not been any findings to suggest something happened in his home. At least none that they could find two weeks after and 18 years later in 2012. My opinion This case is one that I just can't put my finger on. I can only present the facts, and though there are many, the case still has some holes that only Clea and the person or persons involved know. We all see the facts, but there is just something missing. Things went dark after eight fifteen PM when she called home to see if anyone left a message or called for her. She was supposed to call back so her mom can pick her up. Lorel fell asleep and would have awoken to her call, but it never came. There is a wide window of opportunity from the time she called and then after. A lot can happen in 15 minutes. We know Clea was alive when she called home, but afterwards, things went silent. When I think about the last call home, Was that call really her just checking in, or was she indirectly trying to communicate something else? We have to remember that Clea did not have a phone of her own, nor a pager, from what we know. Because of this, any outgoing call would have had to be made on the home phone, connected to the Amos residence. Which we can assume that Dr. Amos could or would listen to her conversations. Unless there was a separate line and he still could have another phone connected to that line, to listen to the calls. She may have known this. Clea worked with Dr. Amos for about a year during the time she went missing, so she would be familiar with his characteristics. I also wonder, was Dr. Amos near her when she made the call home? After listening to hours of interviews from Laurel, there has not been anything to suggest Clea was trying to give a signal or express fear during that call. This may or may not have been something that Lorel or even her brother picked up on if there was anything else to that call. We can't deny that Dr. Amos' actions are questionable after she went missing. Could his actions be to avoid being looked at as a suspect who had involvement in her disappearance? Or is it him guilty in trying to control the case? Another thing that really stuck out is how could Dr. Amos be confident that Clea's mother didn't show up at the usual time she would pick her up from his home after work. Basically, if he is responsible, then how would he have explained to her mother that Clea left? It was expected for Laurel to pick up Clea like she normally would at 8.30, or near that time after she would have called, and that night would have been no different. Laurel fell asleep and lost track of time. When she called to his home after being awakened by her husband, it was close to one AM. At that time, doctor Amos answered the phone rather quickly as if he was in the room or waiting on this call or busy in the office doing something. Larel also mentioned that doctor Amos's ex wife came forward and met with her to say that he is abusive and violent. The question is, can this conclude that he was involved in the disappearance of Clea? It's all information, but does it relate to her case? You have these different stories of how Clea did not inform him or his wife of leaving. Then you have the story of her getting into a car with someone. Lastly, you have another story of her leaving with a peach pop and things just go dark after that. All of them are unconfirmed. As I mentioned earlier, what they all have in common is that Clea left. But did she? Did Clea really walk out? If she didn't and something happened inside of the house, then where is she today and did or does Dr. Amos' wife know? Is she harboring a secret? Why hasn't there been any trace evidence of Clea leaving or a sign of an abduction? If something happened, there should be something. There is a possibility that it was missed due to the case not being taken seriously early on. Now, we can't completely eliminate the theory of Clea possibly leaving Dr. Amos' home and walking home. It's possible, especially if she noticed that Laurel was not there. But remember, she never called home according to reports. She was supposed to call home to get a ride instead of walking home in the night. I was able to pull the historic weather archives for May 9, 1994, the day Clea was last seen. It was summer 1994 in Pine Bluff. The weather was warm. When she was dropped off at around 5 p.m., it was 72 degrees and the skies were clear and sunny. At 7.59 p.m., the sun was setting. When it was time for her to leave work at 8.30 p.m., it was around 64 degrees and already pitch black outside. Though dark, it was a temperature that one could tolerate if they had a jacket. Clea was last seen wearing a white shirt and short set with a navy polka dot pattern on the shorts and blue stripes on the shirt with white socks and white athletic shoes. She wasn't dressed to walk home. You know, I can't seem to make much of this case. The reason is because there really isn't much to make of it when you look at the hard facts. Coupled with Dr. Amos's odd behavior, the two sisters quitting their job with Dr. Amos and recruiting for him, him buying some of the surrounding homes, if this is true. Removing the missing person flyers from the neighborhood. His abusive past. And his lack of concern. It just seems like there is something missing. A small piece missing. LaRose states that Dr. Amos hasn't done enough to prove his innocence. And I can see why she states that. As stated earlier, law enforcement searches home two weeks after Clea went missing and they didn't find anything that shows there was a struggle. I wasn't expecting them to. By then, if something did occur in his home, it would not be there two weeks later, at least on a surface level. This case should have received much more coverage than it did almost 30 years ago. It is still unsolved. Details are scant, but it appears we have someone who's hiding in plain sight. Whoever is responsible Because I don't believe she walked away from her life. It was kept small to only a limited amount of people. Possibly no more than two individuals because the case has gone cold and quiet. We know her last location. But after that, it goes untraceable. I wonder has the current wife of Dr. Amos spoken to the PD on more than just one occasion since she was present that night. I first heard about this case in 2013, 10 years ago, and one year after the search. Today, we still don't have the answers. I can't even say we're close to finding out what happened. I can't say all cases have a motive, but most do. Why would someone want to make Clea disappear? Why have things gone cold for this long in such a small town? What I do know is that someone knows something. What I'm unsure about is is how could someone just vanish? Either those involved were kept to only one or two individuals or someone else is making sure this case remains unsolved. Whoever is involved is strategic and has to know the area well. Very well. Law enforcement has mentioned that they believe Clea's disappearance is due to an abduction. Due to the lack of coverage, the nearly two-decade-late extensive search, and law enforcement initially not taking the case seriously, until people start talking and those internally that know more or may have information come forward, this case will remain left without answers, unsolved, and very cold. time of her disappearance, Clea was 18 years old, African-American, stood at 5'8", weighed 120 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a white blouse with navy blue stripes and matching white shorts with navy blue polka dots, white sneakers, and a white bow in her hair. She has a chipped front tooth and a surgical scar on her left knee. Clea would be 47 today, and Dr. Amos is 73. If you have any information or leads in the disappearance of Kleshendra Hall, her current whereabouts, or any information concerning Clea, it should be directed to the Pine Bluff Police Department at 870-543-5111. I want to thank you for your viewership of Clea's case. Her family is still awaiting her return and believes she still could be out there. There has been no evidence to support any findings of her no longer with us, and that is hope. We know people don't just vanish. Someone has the answers to this nearly 30 year mystery. Laurel, Willie, and her siblings all deserve answers. It's been a very long time. As always, Please be safe, be vigilant, and always be aware of your surroundings. May God bless and keep you all. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Romans 12.12